This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Simon Von Bromley, and I'm a senior technical writer for BikeRadar.com. In this episode, I caught up with Dr. Barney Garud of AeroSensor, a new real-time drag measurement device that can be attached to any bike. Having recently launched as part of a wider aero testing product ecosystem, Dr. Garud and I talked through how the AeroSensor works, how the data it produces compares to wind tunnel testing, and how devices such as these might shape cycling in the future. As always, if you have any comments or questions, don't forget that you can send us an email at podcast at bikeradar.com but without any further ado, let's get straight into my chat with Dr. Garud. Oh, hi, Barney. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me on, Simon. Great. Yeah, so you're here today to talk about uh, the AeroSensor and the AeroSensor Aerodynamic Cycling System. So tell us a little bit about how the company AeroSensor started, you know, and what is the AeroSensor and what is the AeroSensor Aerodynamic Cycling System? Okay, sure. So um, my... I used to work in Formula One as an aerodynamicist, um, initially in the wind tunnel designing um, parts of the car. And then back in um, 2007, um, worked at the track where part of my job was to measure the car aerodynamic performance. So that's both downforce and drag. And around that time, I came up with a um, with an algorithm to, to calculate the car aerodynamic drag based on knowing the engine output and a few other things. And then 
in probably around 2012, 2013, as a keen cyclist, I started to wonder whether you could do the same thing on a bike. So I thought, well, that'd be pretty cool if you could actually measure your drag. But I knew this would take, you know, some pretty tricky measurements to get it right. Um, a friend, an ex-colleague of mine, John Buckley, uh, talking to him, and he had um, had had similar thoughts. So he started working on this together around sort of 2016, 2017. By 2018, we were working on it full time. We The first thing that we needed to do, we decided, was to come up with a better design of a pitot probe, because from my experience in Formula One and John's as well, actually, we, we discovered that traditional pitots don't work great when you've got high yaw angles and with a bike, it's much slower than a Formula One car, so you're going to have that issue. So we set about designing a new probe, um, got a patent on it, and then went on to develop this device. Over the course of this period, John and I have, have gone in slightly different directions. So we, we parted ways um, perfectly amicably. And it's taken me ba basically five years, five or six years to get to this point where we're ready with a consumer ready product, which is a lot longer than I had anticipated. But I think that's the way with all these things. What is the kind of product then? Obviously, Aeris, you know, you mentioned Pito Tuesday already, and some of our listeners might be familiar with existing products that are on the market, such as the Notio or the Velocomp Aeropod, for example. How, how does the AeroSensors kind of wind measurement device differ? Okay, so ju just, just to, to back up a little bit, what we're trying to do is measure aerodynamic drag on a bike, and you can't do that directly, um, very similar to the, the Notio and the Aeropod. What these devices do, as with ours, is we measure the amount of power that the, the cyclists are putting in. We make assumptions about rolling resistance. We measure acceleration, whether you're going uphill or downhill. And from all that information, basically, you know what um, your power sources and sinks are. And if you add them all up together, what you're left over with is your aerodynamic drag. The Velocomp, the PowerPods, and the Notio Connect, they just have simple pitot tubes. So this is what you'll find on the front of an aeroplane. It measures wind speed pretty well, so long as the wind is aligned with the axis of the, of the bike in this case. However, once you get above around five to 10 degrees of wind door angle, so that's if you've got a bit of a crosswind at cycling speed, it doesn't take much to give you a pretty large wind door angle. The accuracy of that measurement of wind speed goes down, and that means you're resulting um, CDA, we call it, will be poor. So what our device does is it measures your wind yaw angle and compensates the wind speed measurement up to an angle of 50, 50 degrees of, of yaw. And that basically means for all reasonable uh, wind conditions and cycling conditions, we can get a very accurate measurement of, um, of wind speed. So we're starting from a, a solid platform there. And why is it kind of, you know, why have you chosen that that kind of your range? Because I think you know, a lot of people or a lot of readers of Bike Radar might be familiar with kind of, you know, ranges for your from you know, wheel tests or you know, wind tunnel tests on things. And we typically see something like naught to, to 20 degrees. Why is it so important to measure to those wider range of angles? So firstly, it, it's, it's as large an angle as we could achieve. And actually, once you go for this, the design designer probe we came up with could do that. So we were like, why not? So there's 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 an element of why not. Actually, the, the probably the bigger issue here is you need to make sure that under all those circumstances, you're never going beyond the range of the device. Because if you can imagine beyond its operating envelope, the accuracy of the measurement just falls off a cliff edge. So even if you spend 2% of your time above 
say 20 degrees, that becomes important. As it happens, having done an awful lot of testing on the road, what we found is, yes, you quite often only see as much as 10 or a little bit more 15 degrees of wind yaw angle on average. Because the wind is always moving, there's always turbulence in the atmosphere, especially down near ground level due to trees and cars and buildings. We've seen in the past that for an average wind yaw angle of 10 degrees, the wind is actually constantly oscillating between plus 30 and minus 10. It's moving around you know, easily plus and minus 20 degrees from that average 10 degree wind draw angle. And that in itself is a pretty interesting conclusion because it, it's, um, it shows, A, that it's important that you can be able to measure that wide wind draw angle spectrum. But it also means that those higher angles might actually be more relevant cycling performance than was previously thought of. So if, if you take you know, things like my, um, my windsock, these sorts of apps will use weather data to predict what your wind yaw angle is but that's assuming a perfectly constant wind speed with the turbulence you see in reality you'll constantly be going up to higher angles and that could be where you're seeing a big rise and drag on your wheels for example that could impact your performance and is, is this you know kind of one of the obviously there are other advantages in terms of kind of cost and you know the ability to to keep doing tests but is this kind of one of the advantages of a product like this over say a traditional wind tunnel where you know a wind tunnel can't isn't as messy as the real world you know and and that's an advantage in terms of you know perhaps like resolution but it is a disadvantage in terms of it does it does does you know performance in the wind tunnel translate into performance in the real world i mean obviously we've seen with mercedes in formula one last couple of seasons they seem to have a cut they seem to feel they had a car that was super fast in the wind tunnel and maybe in cfd and didn't quite translate to the real world is that something that we might expect to see in cycling as well yeah i i think so as, as you allude to actually we used to say when i worked in mercedes frequently that the race isn't run in the wind tunnel so having the best performance in the wind tunnel doesn't actually mean anything the wind tunnel's got its uses it's a very good simulation of real life but it is a simulation um, as you say, for, for certain things, it's got that, um, you know, it's, it's like testing in a lab. You'll, in some cases, be able to get better resolution, but it might not be um, always accurate. So, like, a good example is if you test a wheel at 10 degrees in perfectly laminous, might not even be laminar, but in steady flow, um, where the yaw angle isn't constantly changing, you're getting a good performance but if the your wind your angle is going up to a point where the wheel is stalling what we see with wings that are stalling quite often is that they will stall at say 15 degrees but they won't reattach until you come back down past say 12 degrees so if you're if you've got a wheel that's great at 10 degrees its best performance tends to come just before the stall so it might stall and that stall might um remain there coming back down again so although you might think you've got a great deal for relatively high yaw angles in reality with unsteady flow it could be very very different and we we see that and that has a very real effect um from what we've seen in in formula one and and to some extent in cycling so yeah i think absolutely there's um a relevance to real world testing so what you know what are the kind of components of the the aero sensor aerodynamic cycling system obviously we, we kind of already talked a little bit about the the kind of you know the the redesigned kind of pito tube but what what else is there to the system so there's the 
I guess, to fill out a bit on the on the area sensor. So that's a, a redesigned pitot tube, as you say, but it's got integrated sensors and electronics, so we can resolve uh, changes in altitude to about 10 centimetres, so we get a very accurate um, uh, idea of whether you're going uphill or downhill. And we put that into drag calculation, which happens on the device. And this is a little different to some of the other devices out there, um, because the value of CDA you see on your Garmin, um, because it sends that that information directly to the Garmin, is the fully calculated CDA. Um, and then, so that's AeroSense. We've then got another product, AeroBody, which we developed as a means to make sure actually that in our own testing, we were holding a constant body position. And what that does is it uses two infrared lasers to measure your uh, head and chest height. And therefore, although it's not a perfect indication of your whole body position it's a pretty good indicator of whether you're holding a good position or not and what we found testing both on the road and the velodrome is, is all cyclists tend to start lifting up as they get tired because it's easier to put out power when you're doing that but they don't necessarily know that so you've seen for example in velodrome testing over the course of a day with each run the rider is slowly lifting up and up and up and that affects your that effect can actually be bigger than what you're trying to measure, be it wheels or clothing or whatever. Um, so that that just sits on the stem. It's a pretty small device, measures your body position. And it's now getting to the point that most people who've tried it have said, actually, we wouldn't want to do any testing, aero testing without this, because it's the only way we've got of knowing if the rider's holding their position. And then the third device we've got is Aerodrome, which is it's a very simple device. It's a, a tape switch like a pressure-sensitive tape that goes across the track, really designed for velodromes or outdoor velodromes um, or any sort of outdoor circular loop. And it gives you millisecond-level lap timing. And the importance of that is it synchronises your lap position to AeroSensor. So every time you complete a lap, AeroSensor calculates the drag coefficient average for that last lap and delivers it to your uh, bike computer. And that gives us a much better level of repeatability than we get without it and actually recently in a test where we were doing about i think between around eight laps per test um per outing if you, if, if you like which we did one for each configuration we, we did our baseline we then did um seven or eight changes went back to our baseline and our, that baseline repeat was within actually within 0.2 percent normally i'd expect it to be within about 0.5 percent to put that into context, I went to a wind tunnel test recently where the repeatability was 1%. So we're actually able to achieve, in this case, um, results that are twice as good or two times better than a wind tunnel, which is pretty extraordinary. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And there's that, you know, you kind of mentioned, you think that rolling resistance and, and power input being kind of integral to that. Does that does that repeatability, you know, rely on any assumptions on the kind of, you know, the quality of the rolling resistance data you're putting in, for example? And, you know, if so, where are you, where are you kind of getting that? And, and the same with like power meter data, for example, you know, <laughs> I, I do all the testing for power meters at Bike Radar. I mean, I'm kind of constantly getting people sort of saying to me that power meters, you know, accuracy doesn't matter. It's all about consistency. But presumably for something like this, accuracy is quite important. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. And, and the, the velodrome, to be clear, is, is a particular case, which is, a, it's the easiest case for us because you've got no wind, you've got no hills. Um, the you can tell the rider to be consistent. So it is easier to get consistent results. If you've got hills, then obviously you've, start, you've, got a, you've got a bigger balance between, say, gravity and your power meter. So if your power meter isn't accurate, then you can start overestimating the, um, the drag or underestimating it. So that is definitely important in terms of absolute numbers. If you're... There are several use cases for our system, um, but one of the main ones is, say, outdoors doing out and back testing. And as long as you're able to maintain a consistent speed between one run and the next, then your repeatability should be good enough, even though your absolute accuracy isn't that isn't that great. So although it will impact your repeatability, you're usually able if if, if our system tells you that one helmet is better than another, then it's better. Um, than the other. The only thing that's going likely to affect that um, that result is if you are riding inconsistently or your power meter takes a, an offset, a zero offset, which a lot of them do, as, as you all know, um, pretty, pretty sporadically. So for example, like one of the things that we insist on people doing or strongly recommend people do is um, baseline repeats. So if you're doing any aerodynamic testing, we, we do it in Mercedes in the wind tunnel to when we're doing it velodrome or out on the road, you do a baseline, then you do your changes and you repeat that baseline at the end. So you know if there's been any drift. And if there has been any drift, then you can only trust the results that are outside of that band of, um, say, misrepeatability. So although there's plenty of things that can affect the accuracy of the results or the repeatability of the results, you can measure the repeatability so you can give yourself confidence that um, the results you get are the right ones. So in terms of like rolling resistance, then it's just a kind of matter of, you know, you kind of make an assumption on on what the rolling resistance is based on, you know, whatever knowledge you have. And then, and then yeah, like you could do the AB testing I and mean, you might not get the absolute CDA numbers spot on, but the relative differences would still be accurate. Yeah, exactly. For, for everything we've done so far, we we just um, say, looking up, look up, um, I think bicycleRollingResistance.com, you should look, look up your um, rolling resistance, put that in, and that's good enough to give you good repeatability because that number isn't going to change a lot from one run to the next. Um, so I, th- I think for the most part, there the, it would be good to get a better idea of rolling resistance, and it is in our roadmap to 
that there are things we can do to, to, to work out the rolling resistance. But to get useful aerodynamic testing, and I, th- I, mean, I mean like wind, wind tunnel levels of usefulness, you don't need it to be super accurate. And what, what else do you need in terms of kit? I think you mentioned like a Garmin earlier. And, and it, I think at the moment I'm right in saying that this, this, uh, the AeroSensor only integrates with Garmin bike computers. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So back in, I was looking yesterday, actually, I think it was back in 2017, um, John and I went to Ant and said, look, we're developing this sensor. We'd like to have an Ant Plus profile for aerodynamic sensors, um, similar to what you have for heart rate sensors, power meters, etc. And we worked on that with Ant, owned by Garmin, for um, probably about three years. And he got to the stage where they were about to release it. But for whatever reason, Garmin canned it. Um, at the time, they, they, they stated that it was because there wasn't enough interest from the bike computer manufacturers, which I, I think is debatable. For whatever the reason was, they um, they canned it. I, I've since had reassurance for them that if we can show that there's enough interest in it, that they'll re-establish it. But the point is, the other bike computer manufacturers, because you can't write connect iq apps for their bike computers they would need a standardized um way of communicating this data and so until we do that it's tough however i'm i'm pretty confident that we could get enough interest together because i've spoken to some of these other manufacturers and they they are interested um so i, I think that will come down the line but it's it's a bit of a chicken and egg argument they're not going to be super very interested until there's many of these devices out there and it's hard for us to do that until they're supported on the bike on all the bike computers so It'll take a little while, but it will get there. But for the time being, it's just um, going by computers. And and what you know, this kind of intrigued me in a way. Like, what was the decision to go with like yeah, Ant, Ant Plus rather than something like Bluetooth? Because I know, for example, that um, you know certain power meters promise you know higher hertz readout rates so over Bluetooth, for example. It, would that have been something that could have been potentially useful, or is it is it just that as you say, Ant Plus is the kind of the standard thing that all cycling peripherals use and therefore that's that's the the one to go for i think that's that's a really good question I, I, that was certainly our idea at the time that we wanted to be i think differently to say the notios or the um aeropod powerpod who all have their own protocol we wanted something that was going to be a- accessible easy easily adopted and i think my certainly my experience of Ant Plus is it's it's it just I think their tagline is it just works and it and it really does so we that's what chose us to go with it. The, un- the underlying top technology is actually the same as BLE, um, so it it is something we could move to in the future. But really, our idea was just if we can get this standard Ant profile, then everybody will support it, and that will give us access to all bike computers. Um, in that respect, I believe BLE is a little bit further behind in terms of generic um, sport profiles, but people have said to us in the past, actually, I think there are certain believers that Ant will die out and BLE will take over. Who knows? But um, it's certainly something worth us considering. I, th- I think the other thing, just quickly to mention, is that um, Ant has a... I believe Ant is superior in terms of its low power consumption, and that's um, that has its own benefits. And I think, you know, just talking about you know, using standardized protocols and stuff like that, I'm kind of interested to get your take on who the target audience for this product is, because 
you know, speaking for myself, for example, obviously I'm a journalist, like I have to test wheels and, you know, we've just done like a a group of tire tests, for example, or, you know, anything helmets, right? And I can can see, really see the benefit to me to be able to go out and, you know, to not have to go to a wind tunnel every time I want to know the performance differential between, you know, wheel set A, wheel set B. Um, is, Is it just kind of, you know, professionals, teams, you know, elite athletes that you're targeting with this? Or, or, or do you see this kind of becoming more of a, a mass market uh, tool, you know, in the sense that, you know, power meters are becoming increasingly standardized uh, on high-end bikes? Is, is this something that, you know, is that the kind of ambition for this type of product? Yeah, I, I think definitely. I, I tell people all the time that this should be of interest on to anybody who rides a bike, ultimately, because the vast majority of your power is always aerodynamic and the vast majority of that aerodynamic drag is your body so if you want if you're interested in making yourself faster i don't think there are any um better ways to do it in terms of you know cheaper or easier to do um in fact there was a good paper um i read a while ago i forget the name of the author but they looked at the effects of training, aerodynamic wheels, aerodynamic frame, weight, aerodynamics on performance at the novice, intermediate and advanced levels. And in all three cases, aerodynamics was far clearly the um, the biggest driver of performance. So if you can buy a product like ours um, and test whenever you want, then surely that's got to be the best way to gain performance. I think it's a hard sell because it's it's not as sexy as a, as a new set of Carbonero wheels. But who knows that those Carbonero wheels are actually making you faster? We can tell you. Yeah, I think you know this. One of the this that's kind of one of the philosophical questions I kind of have with this, in a sense that like the aero wheels are kind of you know you bolt them on and you kind of trust that they're doing what they claim to do. Um, one of the, maybe the you know and power meters have this exact same problem and it, it doesn't necessarily stop people buying them. um but you have like the idea of something like this is it's it's a tool for testing um rather than just something you kind of you know you just bolt onto your bike and then you kind of ride off and that's it i just you know have cda figures now um it, it, you know is is that a, a fair f- thing is is it, you know is this something that is it is this only useful as a thing for testing or is it a kind of you know a more kind of can it be a general tool as well yeah so i i great question the so pr- primarily and there are a few different use, use cases primarily if you buy your fancy new helmet or aero wheels and actually i've seen a case myself several times and on different people where a 250 pound aero helmet is slower than a standard bike helmet just because the position is not appropriate for the helmet Anyway, so there's there's the basic testing um, idea. Then there's with aero body. If you teach yourself what is the most aerodynamic position, you need to train in that position to make sure you can stay in that position. Because it's one thing getting into an aerodynamic position, but being able to put out um, a race level of power over a forty k time trial is is a different thing, or, or over a Tour de France stage, or, or whatever it is. And then there's with aero sensor understanding how to ride for the conditions is important so if you're going um uphill into a headwind obviously aerodynamics is, is, isn't important but and if you're going downhill with a headwind then it's um obviously the most important thing in the world but there's a huge gray area in between that depends on the gradient and the wind level 
So one of the screens on our Connect IQ app actually has a, a little dial that shows you how much of your power is um, you're expending purely to push yourself through the air. And so you can start to get an idea of, you know, the, I, I know what my aerial position is, but it's a bit painful. It's harder to put out that power. It's more tiring. We can tell you when that's most important and when actually might be a better time to, to relax, have a drink, um, take it easy. So I think there's there's a whole thing in there learning about how to ride for the conditions. So there's the most simple level of testing through to how do you um, how do you ride for those conditions. And then there's a third thing, actually, which um, we've seen before, where a few years ago, a, a pro tour team took out our device on a time trial stage in the morning to map out what the wind was doing, because the wind in reality is on the ground is very different to what the Met Office says based on hills and buildings, as I said before. Um, based on that, they changed the wheels they used and they went on to win the stage by a pretty small margin. So that definitely had an effect on their, their performance. So even knowing what what the wind looks like and changing your your setup because of that. And that's, that's at a very professional level. Your Sunday rider's not going to be doing that. But, but the point is there's a lot of secondary... Conclusions you can make from our devices that will help performance. And uh, yeah, how, how easy is it is it to use? Basically, you know, if if you assume that, you know, I've never used one of these things before, you know, how, how quickly if I if you know you send me the the box of you know all, all the stuff, how how quickly is it to kind of get on the bike, get set up, and and kind of get some useful data? It's very quick. The um. Aerosensor mounts your bike with a, with a GoPro mount, so we can provide some for certain setups, or you'd have one your own. You you mount it, you get a level. With the Connect IQ app, it's literally as simple as you need to put in your weight, um, the wheel um, size, and then you just go. It auto calibrates, so you as as you if you're testing, it'll give you a calibration number for each test. So. As with previous devices, like you mentioned, you've got to do a specific calibration run. Ours, you just test, and you get the calibration data that you can use to post-correct your drag coefficient. So you can test at the same time as, as calibrating. So actually, it's, it's, it's really quick, and that's, that's very much been our, our objective, and partly the objective why we have a pretty simple Garmin um, computer interface because that's the sort of thing that a lot of people will have it's very easy to use it's not special software you've never used before it's just it is what it is so yes it's set up very easy and what kind of restrictions are there in kind of testing environments because i think that's you know i explored getting a you know a notio for some of our testing here um but the kind of practicalities of using it as you've kind of just alluded to are quite tricky in the sense that you need you know, a kind of wind and traffic-free environment. You have to do these uh, specific calibration procedures and runs to do it, and and then, you know, the kind of the actual practicalities of using it have, are, are quite tricky. Um, and so, you know, does the Aerosensor have kind of similar things in the sense that you know, could, you know, main Velodrome is kind of relatively near to me in Bristol, for example. So I, you know, I can go there and do some testing, but it's all off, often quite windy because it's very exposed. You know, is is that kind of a problem, or does that kind of solve this? No, I, I think we. It's always going to be a problem to a certain extent, but by getting better measurements of wind and altitude, you immediately eradicate or or, or you diminish the importance. So. As an example, I, I do most of my development testing on a 600 metres of road around the corner from me, 
Um, there is a bend in the road. It's not, I think there's something like a 50 meter, no, not, sorry, 25 meter elevation change along it. So it's not steep, but it's not flat either. Um, and I'm able to get repeatability, you know, well within a percent on that. Um, I did a test with um, somebody at Hales Owen Velodrome, so not far from you actually, and it was really windy that day. I think we had average wind speeds around kind of 15 kph. Um, your wind, your angle's up to 20 degrees. And we did a load of helmets, repeated the best best one, that was within half a percent. So we we can get extremely good repeatability regardless of um, bad conditions. I think because we paid a lot of attention to getting every single thing right. Um, like ultimately, if your power meter is perfect, your speed meter is perfect, all your measurements were perfect, you would, as long as the wind is consistent, you would always get the, exactly the same CDA, right? So it, it's the better the measurements, the less um, dependent you are on perfect conditions. And so I, I, think, I, think, I think this is where we move ourselves from our predecessors into a point where you, anybody can easily get very high quality results. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting I mean, because I think you know, we make our tech predictions for the year. And one of mine were that, uh, you know, aero sensors such as this were not going to be the kind of new power meters this year. So uh, <laughs> you might be about to prove me wrong. As I say, if you don't mind delaying your launch for a few more months, that'd be really helpful. <laughs> I'm afraid not. I think it's going to take time. And we've, in terms of where we are, we, we, we did this, Indigo, this Indiegogo campaign last year and we just shipped, we sold about 70 units and we just shipped them, the, the, the first batch. And for sure, we've, we've had a, a, a few sort of teething issues. Um, it is a, a brand new device, but I think we've worked through most of them and, and we're getting to the point now where it should, it should be, there's, there's no reason why it shouldn't become the new, um, the new power meter. It's just, I think because there've been a few false dawns on this, um, it's going to take a while to for people to have that faith, but you know, I I believe we're going to show people the light that um, you know they're here and um, they're only going to get better from this point out. You know, yeah, it was just kind of an interesting point, and and I, you know, I was going to ask you basically, what do you, you know, what are some of the challenges being in bringing a kind of product or kind of a product ecosystem like this to market? Because I think you know there looked to be a time a few years ago where you know, Velocomp had their product, uh, obviously Noteo. And I think there was at one point Garmin appeared to be getting ready to release its Vector Air, which was kind of leaked online after it purchased Alpha Mantis. Yeah. And then obviously it just, you know, that just never happened. <laughs> um, you, you know, I suppose like, you know, what makes you guys different in a sense? I think I actually spoke to somebody at one of those companies that didn't manage to bring it to market who said, he said the trouble is it's a 12 degree of freedom problem. I still don't know what he means by that. Um, <laughs> there, there are many degrees of freedom. I, I, I can't think of specifically 12. Because of my experience in Formula One, where we've, like my whole, I, I did a PhD in, in aerodynamics after a degree in aerodynamics and then worked for 12 years, years in Formula One, where you basically spend your whole life trying to get good measurements and picking out the wheat from the chaff. The trouble is with, aerodynamics you, you can make an awful lot of measurements there are devices that have gyros and um, accelerometers in and they just throw the kitchen sink at it and quite easily um, lose the wood for the trees and I think we had a, a head start in having done this on a racing car sometime some some years back with a load of clever people and a load of financial resource to get good results 
um, from that process. And so we're taking a tried and trusted, tested algorithm to the cycling market. That certainly doesn't mean it's been easy, like it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. But I'd say the hardest thing about aerodynamics, especially out on the road, is if you get good repeatability, there are no clues as to why that is. You don't know if it's um, you know, your wheel diameter could be wrong, your weight could be wrong, your power meter could be taking a bad offset, it could be more windy, it could be too hot, too cold. There's a million things that could influence those results. And trying to go through it all and pick out, okay, what can we do to elevate, to improve that repeatability? I think we went into it from the outset knowing what those things were. Accurate wind speed measurement being very much the foundation of that. And I think that's borne out in that it's been relatively straightforward to get good results with this by using good sensors and by relying on a good wind speed measurement. People who start off with a with a pitot tube, they're sort of doomed to failure because they haven't had our experience of trying to use them out in the wild and finding that they can give nonsense results. Uh, do you, you know, it just this literally just occurred to me just now, but do, do you ever feel that you're kind of held, you know, held to a sort of higher standard with this stuff than maybe power meters, for example? Because, you know, I think for, for me, you know, left-only power meters are a bit of a frustration um <laughs> uh, you know yeah. i just don't feel like they you know they're kind of they're claiming to be measurement devices now this is a controversial topic and a lot of people will disagree with me uh, you know because they own them and, and that's fine but you know i don't really feel that they you know they don't measure total power they kind of estimate it uh but if a, a kind of aero sensor product came to market you know with a claim oh, we're just going to give you an estimate of total you know aerodynamic drag uh you know i think a lot of people might kind of think that was you know very bad um so i kind of i wonder how you how you feel about that you know is 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 there a kind of pressure for you know because aerodynamics is you know so many claims are made by manufacturers is there a pressure to be you know you've already talked about you know within 0.5 percent accuracy better than wind tunnels and things like that is there a kind of pressure to be better than wind tunnels in that sense i don't think it's so much a pressure to be better than wind tunnels as much as pe people I don't think un understand how difficult it is to do good aerodynamic testing and, and I've been in people with people in a wind tunnel who've got bad results like with the best equipment in the world if you don't sit still on the bike you know if you don't sit relatively still on the bike and hold a constant position you're going to get rubbish results and, it, and again there's no clue as to whether that's because of the tunnel or or whatever and there was a i used to help run the a wind tunnel at my university actually the racing car um teams rented and when they didn't get the results they wanted they used to blame the wind tunnel ah oh, the wind tunnels the repeatability is bad and then, you know sometimes we'd have to go go down there and take things apart and prove to them like no it's your your your, your model is bad so so the point is it's an extremely difficult thing and i don't think people fully appreciate that say with a with a power meter it's it's it is fully determinate in that you're you're measuring a force. That's a real thing. You can put the bike on it. If you put the bike on a dyno, you can just measure one thing against the other, and you're there. With aerodynamic testing on the road, it's pretty nebulous to try and get a to try and prove that my number is the right number is really difficult. Um, and if the number's bad, to try and determine whether that's your position's bad or you've got a bad power meter or a single sided power meter is a hard thing. So I, I think I think that's the hardest, that's our biggest challenge, the biggest 
where we've got to educate our customers is about expectation how to test how to understand if your testing is any good how to use create actionable data um understanding the you can't go testing in a gale you can't go testing on a um on a very steep hill um that's that's going to be be hard because like like you say people think well that's that's my drag why can't i just you know measure that number and be done with it in fact i had a conversation with somebody just yesterday who was saying um and we insist on not using left side only power meters for example or using magnet magnet based speed sensor um and he said well yeah but i'm not i'm not interested in super accurate data i just want good enough is this helmet better than that helmet it's like yeah but the, what people don't realize is it's it, it's either working or it's not if you have a power meter that's drifting your results are nonsense they're not just a little bit worse they're nonsense um same goes with a bad speed sensor or, or anything else so there's no sort of middle ground where it's good enough for most people and unlike you know the heart rate monitor i've got on my watch which can just tell me rubbish and people seem to accept that if my sensor gives you bad aerodynamic data I'm, we're going to get um you know coming for a lot of grief and rightly but like you say for some reason people I think have higher expectations from these devices. Yeah, I mean, heart rate sensors are definitely one. Like I've got a a smartwatch, yeah, which uh, <laughs> you know can't hold a candle to a chest strap, but um, but it doesn't seem to bother some people. But like it is as as I said, you know, it, it's a kind of it's a strange disconnect where certain in certain parts, you know, certain brands and certain products get seem to be held to a very high standard. And and you know, I think I'm not arguing for lower standards. It it should just be that everyone should be held to that higher standard. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think for, for, for me, I'm the sort of person, you know, I've got a, an academic background. I want to be rigorous in everything we do. I, uh, it's part of the reason it's taken us six years to get to this point is because we didn't want to release it until it was good enough. Now I think it's good enough. Um, is it perfect? We're still working on improvements, but it's good enough. It's going to give you good results. But the I'm constantly flabbergasted by things like the, you know, my, my watch telling me things about my heart rate or the number of calories that I've burned based on a bad heart rate measurement. And you're like, wow, how, how are you even allowed to sell somebody a device that can just basically make up data? And as long as it's roughly right, I've done a few, you know, I've walked, walked a bit further today, so my calories are up. Well, yeah, but it's it's telling you to the nearest calorie out of two and a half thousand. And people are just accepting that. It's, it's, it's odd. But um, I, I wouldn't want to be held to a lower standard, but it doesn't have to make our job hard that's for sure and um you know let, let's kind of come on to like cost and things like that you, you know how, how much does the you know the area sensor device cost how much does the, the kind of complete system cost and and how does that kind of compare to you know a, a wind tunnel session or something like that um so the area sensor itself is going to be i think 865 pounds the price for the whole system so we've got aero Body, which will be £375, and Aerodrome um, will be 550 I will double-check this and um, let you know if, if I'm wrong on that. And then we give 15% discount for the full bundle. So I think the full bundle comes in at about £1,400. Um, to put that in context, you're going to spend, for an hour-long wind tunnel session, you're going to spend, I believe, two to £300. So it, it's very expensive. It doesn't take much testing for you to recoup your costs versus a wind tunnel. Um, it's people could say, you know, it's 
kind of getting up there to power meter money and you do need a power meter meter to run it but i think the um the capabilities it give you gives you are are tre- tre- tremendous um especially as and I, I know a number of people who've tested in wind tunnels and they've come out with a position they can't ride because they can't see where they're going so well yeah i mean that's a timely topic to mention at the moment isn't it <laughs> yeah in the context of recent events yeah that's, yeah it, it, exactly so i think it's um we are cheaper than wind tunnel testing overall you can buy yourself a system that gives you the capability to do as much wind tunnel testing as as you want on your favorite roads around the corner from your house whenever you want um when in reality to 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 go into a wind tunnel you'd be spending hundreds of pounds and having to drive miles away wind tunnels to be clear and it goes back to an argument we used to have in Formula One about will CFD, which is um, computational fuel fluid dynamics, so work, using computers to work out what the airflow does, will they, over, they overtake wind tunnels? Um, but for me, it's sort of like saying, is, is a blender going to overtake an oven? They they do different things. You need them both. The CFD gives you a huge amount of insight about what the airflow is doing. The wind tunnel gives you much more rapid testing. Um, in this case, the wind tunnel is, is a better controlled environment. People can take pictures from the side, from above. They can waft smoke over you. It's much, it's a different kind of testing. So I, I don't ever want to set ourselves up in competition with wind tunnels. But I think in the context of the cost of available wind tunnel, of aerodynamic testing methods, I don't think you're going to get much cheaper than um, what we offer. And, you know, kind of lastly, um... What about what about the kind of the future? You know, you mentioned right at the start of this podcast. You know, airplanes have you know wind sensors integrated into their noses, and I'm pretty sure I've spotted GB track bikes with little holes in the head tubes, um, <laughs> which presumably have something you know going on on the inside. You know, is this something that you know you would like to see integrated into racing bikes in the future? And you know, would that be useful for a start? But you know, is that something that you could see happening? Yeah, definitely. In fact, we, we, we did a demonstration. Um, we we published, published the results on our website, actually, at the UCI Champions League, the Track Champions League last year. And with that, we showed how interesting it is to start measuring aerodynamic data on track. So in, in this example, we were measuring on a rider who was, um, during the, the practice session in the morning, he, he ended up, just through chance, riding in different positions on a um or peloton of five, six guys. And so we could measure his aerodynamic drag in those different positions. And that's astonishing because you, um, I think from first to second, the reduction in drag was something like, let's say 40%. And then you, you only lost another 10% going to third in the, in the peloton, and then fourth, fifth, sixth, the same drag. So you, you start educating people about those numbers in real time. In the evening, I watched a, um, um, I'm, I'm not very good at the name of these things, but an event where there was an awful lot of riders on track. And these two guys ended up lapping the field. And the amount of power, extra power that it takes to do that, and people know it's it's harder, but if you can say that's, like they're putting out double the power of the other guys for over the course of 10 laps to get into that position, that's super interesting. Um, so I, I, I think in the future, there's going to be a huge... Um, I think people would be interested in this in this sort of information. Whether teams want people to know what the drag coefficient of their riders are, they won't. 
But I think it it will give an awful lot of context. You know, I would say on a Tour de France stage, if you know what the wind is doing, how important is it to be in the peloton? Where in the peloton do you want to be to know you're dragged by the by the biggest amount? There's a there's a there's a lot to be done there, and I think I think it will come. It's just you know we are where power meters were 20 years ago, as as you said earlier on um, in the podcast. I think it's going to take a while for people to fully explore the, the potential for these devices but I think I think it's got tremendous potential not just for um, the teams but also for you know um, people's education for people to follow the data and that's a lot of people like especially in Formula One where I come from people enjoy seeing that data what how hard the riders are working etc so um, yeah I, I, I think it will come one day for sure certainly hope so good for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely no I, I think i think you're right you know like as you say like in formula one you know we see you know obviously increasing use of data from the cars being being shown on the kind of tv and people like the kind of the radio and i think we're seeing th- those ideas adopted in cycling as well you know i think this year's tour de france had some of the the radio messages playing on the tv and you know had a little bit of power and heart rate data and i do think you know if the data exists as you say teams might not want to give it up but but for sure, I think there's, there's there's people who are interested in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everybody. One thing I found in my career is everybody is an armchair aerodynamicist. So so giving them the tools to understand that better and be their own actual aerodynamicist is 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 huge. Cool. All right. Thanks very much, Barney. Thank you very much, Simon. Good to meet you. Cheers. If you'd like to learn more about the AeroSensor, you can read all about it right now on BikeRadar.com. If you have any comments or questions, you can send us an email at podcast at bikeradar.com and don't forget to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. As always, though, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 